There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watch them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after hockey. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today on this week's show. A first-round draft choice of the Buffalo Sabres in 1995, 17 seasons in the NHL, all but three of them in the state of New York with the Sabres, Islanders, and Rangers. He spent his first nine seasons with the Buffalo Sabres, replacing Dominic Hasek there as their number one goalie. 230 wins, a goals against of 2.61, a 9.10 save percentage, some awesome numbers, and an awesome broadcaster extraordinaire, my buddy Marty Bjorn. Marty! Great to finally be able to do this with you, my friend. Oh, I'm so happy to be on, Gino. But it's funny because you talk about the legends of the game and I'm like, okay, so when it comes to me, I'll talk about all the legends of the game I played against. And I got to, you mentioned Dominic Hasek. They didn't make a decision and say, hey, you know what? We got Marty Buran, so let's trade Hasek. It just was like, well, let's trade Hasek. And who do we got? Oh, yeah, we got Marty. So let's try him out. So that's kind of like how it worked out. Mr. Humble. <laughs> you know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7 now. Download the 7-Eleven app. For those, I mean, I would I would guess that a majority of our audience here knows that you and I work together almost on a daily basis in broadcasting, but for those who don't, uh, Marty's one of our analysts at TSN and uh, we've had such a great relationship over the years and uh, Marty how how are you liking life on this side of the microphone comparing to the 17 years you spent on the other side of the mic. I uh, love it. Absolutely love it. You know, I look, I, I love being an NHL player. I love playing hockey. I grew up, I loved hockey. I, I watched hockey. I, I played hockey in the summertime in the street, right? We invented games in the backyard, but it was all revolving around the game of hockey. Um, and But at the end of my career, it became hard, hard because I didn't have control over my schedule. Number one, like you have kids, you have family, you have events, you have birthdays, you have school things and you're missing a ton. That was really hard. Uh, and number two, physically, you know, it just was like, OK, I think I'm at the end of it now, but I want to continue to love the game. I was starting to hate the game a little bit, but now I want to continue to love the game. How do I do that? And luckily, the phone rang right away. Our good buddy Steve Dryden, you know, was like, Marty, we want you to come in and do some stuff for us. I did some stuff for MSG. Had a great relationship with my friends at RDS in Montreal. And I kept it going. And the love just came back. Like, not that it ever went away, but now I study the game even more than I did. I... I spent hours and hours and hours watching tape and talking to players, talking to people because I love it. So I've been doing that and I've been retired 
um, over 10 years. And listen, I, I'm going to be a hockey lifer. I'm going to do that the rest of my days until uh, they kick me out. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. It's <laughs> funny because, you know, I get to ask you questions as an analyst and say, Marty, what do you think of the way the team is handling this goalie? And what do you think about this guy's status? You were the epitome of how not to handle a goalie for, for his NHL debut. Let's be honest. Because yeah. let, let me just set the stage for, for our listeners. You were still playing major junior. You were drafted by the Buffalo Sabres, so you were in their stable. The Sabres then have all three of their goalies at the NHL level hurt. They've got nobody they can count on, and they go to the major junior, to the queue, and they bring up young Marty Biron to make his NHL debut. What was that like, getting the call at that point as a kid? Because it completely was unexpected. And then tell our audience about how it went. Yeah, it was very unexpected. I had just returned home 24 hours before from the World Juniors, uh, you know, training camp. So I got cut. The last four cut that year, by for example, were me, Jay McKee, who had a great career, Danny Briere, who had a fantastic career, and Daniel Cleary, who had a great career. We were the last four cut from Team Canada that, that winter of 95. And then I get home. I'm not even home 24, 48 hours. On Christmas Eve, I get up, getting ready to go to my, you know, my my family, my my grandparents' house to to do Christmas. I get a call from Larry Carrier. He was the assistant general manager, and and Hawk is that his nickname is Hawk. He obviously he's French Canadian. He, he's like, hey, Martin, da 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 da. He's like, uh, so um, listen, you're flying to Pittsburgh tomorrow, and you 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 got to meet the team in Pittsburgh. We play on the 26. I'm like, what, like. It, how is that even possible? I'm playing major junior. I didn't make the team out of training camp. Like, no, 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 this is emergency situation. You have to do it. So I went to my family for Christmas, but knowing that, hey, my big Christmas gift is that I'm going to the NHL. I'm going to the show. So I traveled on Christmas day from Quebec city to Pittsburgh, had to get on a couple of flights. I uh, got to Pittsburgh Christmas day at about midnight on the 25th. But the team is not there yet. They come in on the 26th. So I wake up on the 26th and I'm waiting in the lobby of the hotel with my equipment. The boss is supposed to pick me up at the hotel on the way to the to the rank. Sure enough, one of the you know concierge person goes, uh, are you Marty? I'm like, yeah. They're like, oh, they called. They, they're running late, so uh, they're not going to pick you up. You have to uh, walk to the rank. So sure enough, me and 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 one of the uh, PR guy from the Sabres at the time were running up the hill in Pittsburgh on the way to the Igloo, the, the Mellon Arena, with my equipment right on my shoulders, and we get there. I had never taken a morning skate in my life. Like in Major Junior, we went to school during the day, and we played at night or practice at night. So now I'm on the ice for morning skate. I didn't know what to do. I got off the ice and I asked, you know, Rip Simonic, our trainer. I said, what do I do now? He goes, you go back to the hotel. You have pregame meal. I'm like, what is a pregame meal? I guess there's a, a meal set up. I had no idea. Pregame meal. Now I'm the last one in the pregame meal. Everybody's gone. I'm like, what do I do now? They're like, well, most players take a nap. <laughs> I haven't taken a nap since I was two years old. Like, what is that all about? So I go back to my room. And I was roommate roommate with uh, Yuri Himalev, and he's already sleeping. Like the room is dark, he's sleeping. I'm like, okay, I'll just lay in bed, I guess. So, and then that night, I didn't even know I was starting. 
I, I guess Ted Nolan told me I was starting, but maybe the English and the excitement of everything. So in warm up, I'm next to Steve Shields and I'm like, uh, who, who goes first? Meaning who takes shots first? Asking the veteran. He goes, yeah. you go, you're starting. I'm like, no, I'm not starting. He goes, no, you're starting. I look over to the bench and, and they're like, yeah, Marty, you're starting. I'm like, okay. So I had no idea, right? And I played Pittsburgh that night. It was Mario Lemieux, Yaramir Yager, Peter Nedved. I mean, they were 95, 96. They were good. They were really good. Got lit up in the first period. <laughs> and that, was, that wasn't good. But what an experience, though, you know, to have that. Did Mario talk to you before the game at all? Because he knew you were a kid? No, so here in Pittsburgh, in the old Mellon Arena, so the weird thing is the locker rooms were on the wrong side of the ice. So when you got on the ice, you had to cross over to the other zone, right? So yeah. I crossed over to the other zone in warm-up, and then I went to the corner to stretch. I didn't know that Pittsburgh's locker room was right behind me. So every one of the Penguins players are basically stepping on the ice right next to me to skate to their zone. And as Mario would always do he came out last out of the locker room and there's always a big roar from the fans when mario would come through the tunnel so i hear the roar from the fans and i i knew what was going on i'm like oh boy that's mario he stepped on the ice he gave me a tap on the pads and he goes good luck kid and he skated away and i'm like this big number 66 with the i'm like oh boy I'm not in Shawinigan anymore, right? Like, this is not the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League anymore. But, yeah, that was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And <clears throat> you you grew up in, in the province of Quebec. But yeah. I find this very funny. And you told me this story before. You were not a fan of the Habs. No. That was not your team. Hated Expe the Habs. And then, and then your third game before you got sent back down to junior came against the Habs at the Montreal Forum. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was a huge Nordics fan. Hated the Habs. Hated Patrick Roy, right? Even though he was so good and he was like, who we, we were aspiring to be. But Quebec kid, goalie, who didn't love Patrick Roy. That's like, that's wrong, Mark. For me, I was like the underdog, like the Mario Gosselin back in the early 80s, right? And then, you know, the Stefan Fizet. Like, those were the guys. I was like, these, they're way better than Patrick. No, they're not. But still, right? And then, so... Yeah, I had only been to the Montreal Forum one time in my life. I had seen a game a year before that and uh, when I was playing in midget and I, you know, I'd never been in the Forum before. So now we're in early January of 96. We're playing at the Forum. The Forum is about to close. Later that year, the Montreal Forum is closing. They're moving into their new building. And it's a big thing for the Sabres because Seymour Knox, our owner, made the trip. We knew he was sick. He, uh, he is, his health was declining. He passed away later that, that year, but nobody knew that, but it was an emotional moment. I wasn't supposed to start. Well, I didn't start. I wasn't starting. Ted Nolan said, listen, John Blue had been signed and he had just gotten a shutout. So he's like, we're going to start the John Blue. Have, have the whole experience. Enjoy being in Montreal in the forum. We're down two nothing five minutes into the game. And it's a Saturday night game on Hockey Night in Canada. And, and Teddy Nolan looks over to me. He goes, Marty, you're going in. What? Like, you know, like I, I, it was like one of those moments, like I'm in the Montreal Forum, the banners, yeah. you know, the, the ghost of the forum. And I, I'm going in. Uh, and that building was so unique. It was so bright. And the ceiling was so low. And it was, oh, man, what a moment. So I go in. And I'm nervous as heck. And obviously, 
about halfway into the second period, we fought back into the game, right? We were tied 2-2. We're down 3-2. We're uh, tied 3-3. We're up 4-3. And then I gave up a, a goal to Pierre Turgeon. It was not a good goal. And um, then I look over to the bench and John Blue is making his way over the board again. He started the game and he's skating towards me. I'm like, uh, I'm getting pulled. So I went to the bench. And Teddy Nolan came over to me. He goes, listen, kid, you did your job. You got us back into the game. But now I got to trust my my veteran. You're, I can see you're very nervous. And I'm like, yeah, thank goodness you got me out of there. Like this was, And we won the game. We won the game 7-6. It was a crazy game. But yeah, it didn't happen back then. I did a live interview on, from the bench. Right of the hockey night, like a reporter at the time. It's like, Teddy, can we interview Marty on the bench? And they're like, yeah, sure. Right on the uh, during the play, the guys are looking at me like, "What is going on?" Who's like, he talking? Yeah, who is he talking? But you know, the forum like fans would walk by the bench and the, the ushers would be there. So that now you do interviews with the coaches on the bench and sometimes you talk to players. But no, not in '96. And so I'm doing an interview on the bench. I'm in love and life, love and life. That was amazing. Uh, something I thought was kind of funny, and I almost forgotten about this. Was was the Marty Biron rule when it came yeah. to jersey numbers? Because uh, you originally wanted double zero, and you originally had double zero. Explain that story to us. And so I wore double zero that ninety five ninety six season. I played a few games, wore double zero. Goes back to my midget uh, ma midget major year where I played way up north in Amos, which is by Run Randa Valdor, like in Abitibi. It's way up north and. Um, their their jersey numbers were different. They were all the double numbers, like 11, 22, 33, 44, but they had 0, 0. And it was one of the goalie jersey. And so I was basically given the double zero. And I had a great year that year. So in juniors, I wore double zero and really performed well. So when I got drafted, you know, Jim Pizzatelli was a medical guy and he was in charge of the numbers. And uh, he never really asked me but in training camp at number 35, and I was like, 35 is a bad goalie. I didn't like 35. I was like, this is a bad goalie number, but you don't say anything. It's in training camp. So I showed up to Pittsburgh, and in my stall is my jersey, and it's the double zero. And I was like, this is so cool, right? And uh, so I got to wear it a little bit. Um, and and I would have worn it my whole career. Like, I love that number. It just, I felt it was special. I had great success with it. But the league decided um, that because of the Y2K and resetting all their computer system and all of that, and when they would input the number 00, it didn't register for pension or for insurance. It just basically was you didn't play a game. It had to be from 1 through 99. So they decided to, instead of putting more time and effort into fixing their program, that they said, oh, no, you can't have the double zero anymore. So they just made me change and... I went to 43 and it worked out, but I love double zero. It was, uh, it was one of my favorite ones. Look, this, I'm going to take it off the wall. This was my junior mask. And I had a big sticker zero, zero on the throat guard in the front because I love that number so much. I like, I like the Eagle on there, which then brings us to our next story. It's actually a snow owl because our fangs, our fangs, Bopart our fangs is the snow owl. So that's what it was. There you go. And you ended up, so then you went back to, to major junior. You played a couple more years in major junior. Um, and then you spent some time in the minors. And then in 1999, you get your first NHL victory. And where I was going with that was Eddie, the Eagle part of that story. Tell us that. Yeah. So um, I was playing in Rochester, was having a really good year. 
I got called up and, uh, you know, they basically said, you're going to play against the Dallas Stars. And so uh, funny enough, I had a few of my buddies from, from Quebec City that drove up to that game because they were like, Marty, you're going to play the Dallas Stars. Like they were good. They were really, really good. And Eddie the Eagle and Brett Hall and all of those guys, right? Mike Medano. And so I'm like nervous, but I, I'm pretty confident. I've had a great season in, the, in Rochester in the American League. I'm pretty confident. And so we're in the locker room before the game and Rob Ray used to test everybody's patience a little bit and always test your mental strength to a certain extent. And Razor gets up in the locker room and he goes, well, Marty, don't worry if you get lit up tonight, you got over the Pittsburgh game, you'll get over this one too. And I'm like, thanks a lot, Razor. But he, that, he was always like that, like wanted to see how you were going to do. So we play uh, the Dallas Stars, uh, win the game two to one. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what a feeling. I have a picture, uh, right over here. My first NHL game. That was that game against the Dallas stars. I have the puck. I have number one for my first NHL win. Uh, my buddies were there. We went out like crazy that night. Uh, and then the next day there was a huge snowstorm in Buffalo. So no practice. My buddies couldn't get out of town. So they stayed an extra day. And then two days later, we played the uh, Philadelphia Flyers and I tied them two to two. So in three days and my first NHL win, went out, partied. The next day, snowstorm, no practice. The next day, game against the Flyers, played again, tied. Like I was on cloud nine. I was feeling so good. Um, then I got sent back to Rochester. But you had a great experience. And you know what? The snowstorm was probably a godsend because after celebrating your first victory, you probably needed a little time to sleep I in. I needed a little sleep in. And yes, uh, Lindy Ruff would have uh, put me through the works and it wouldn't have been good. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Listen, you you mentioned off the top, we kind of alluded to this, you you had an opportunity to play with some of the greatest goaltenders of all time, Hall of Famers, play against and for. What were your experiences like with Dominic Hasek? Because this was day in, day out. You were with one of the greatest goalies of all time. Yeah, so I loved watching other goalies. I used to sit on the bench during morning skate and watch the other teams practice or after practice because I wanted to take it all in, see what other goalies were doing. But I got to really live it with Hashek every single day. From my first 
my first preseason game in 1995. I just got drafted. Remember, we're in the old odd in Buffalo. And I yeah. used to love getting dressed right away. Like, I would be fully dressed with 20 minutes still on the clock before warm-up, right? And I'm fully dressed, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be awesome. First NHL action. Dominic Hasek is walking around the locker room and he's still like in his gitch and he's like got ankle weights and he's doing stretches and he's doing his flexibility things. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is weird. Like I, I, you know, I'm fully dressed. He has nothing on. Right. And can then I, you can I pause you for a second. Yeah. One of the, the shocking things. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in a lot of NHL dressing rooms. One of the most shocking things was seeing Dominic Hasek without his equipment on. Oh. Because he's so skinny. Yeah. I don't remember ever seeing anybody so skinny and so slight as him and stopping pucks. And I'm like, how is this guy still alive facing the rubber? He was so skinny. Um, and listen, I, I mean, I was no better myself. I was very skinny. I got drafted at six to 142 pounds, uh, Gino, like that was really skinny. And if you listen to the analyst on TV, when I got drafted, they're like, he's going to need to beef up a little bit, but yes. Uh, but Ryan Miller, I played with was very skinny, right? The same thing. Henrik Lundqvist was, was a little bit thicker, but not like. You know, when you think of some of the other goalies, the Marty Broder and the Eddie Belfour and the Cujo, like they were a little bit like stronger. And yeah. and I played with a lot of skinny goalies or skinnier type goalies, but Hasek was like that. And Hasek was like carefree. He like would be cutting his nails before going on the ice. He had like nail clippers Velcro to his stall and he would be basically giving himself manicures before going on the ice. Um, there was, but when he got on the ice for practice or games, it was incredible. Nobody could beat him. Um, you know, I remember even ESPN one year, they counted the amount of shots and saves he made in warm-up because he said he stopped 62 of 64 shots in warm-up. Like, that's how, like, incredible, like, it was, right? Like, he was like that. Guys used to joke around in in on, in practice. They'd be like, hey, um, if you need to work on your confidence, go down Marty's hand because Dom isn't letting anybody score today. Like, it, like how incredible of a competitor he was. And that's why, like you think of the greatest, they all have that compete in, inside of them, but to another level, you know, check, check you at the uh, Nagano Olympics in 98, right? Dom taking on Canada and the shootout and everything. Like he was amazing, but people think Dom was weird, a weird goalie, very unorthodox. We used to do goalie drills and Technically, he was so good. Like he could skate from point A to point B faster than anybody else. He just made the saves, not the normal way. He would lay down and add this anticipation skills that nobody else had. But but when we did goalie drills, like you could learn a lot from his weight, how he moved around the crease and how quick he was. Yeah, he was amazing. He was amazing. Uh, we talked about your, you know, your your first experience in the NHL, your first big NHL win. There was another moment. And um, I don't know how comfortable you feel about this, but your buddy, your brother, your little brother yeah. playing against you. Uh, of course, Matthew Barron played oh, uh, for, what, seven different teams in the NHL? <laughs> yeah, I think he played for like four or five. He played in the AHL, won a Calder Cup with Hamilton when Carey Price was there the one year, played in Europe. But so you know, the history, it's only my brother and I, right? We grew up in a little town, half hour north of Quebec City. My dad was a construction worker, carpenter of trade. My mom stayed at home until we were well into our you know, elementary school. And then she was a secretary. And then she worked for the government as a, you know, basically personal assistant. But 
um, and, and recovery agent, but it just, we were very, my dad took extra jobs in the summer so that he could buy me a set of used pads, right? Like I never got new gear. That's all it was. So the, the fact that my brother and I made it to the NHL was, was Great. incredible, right? It's just, we came from a little town of, you know, 4,000 people and we both made it to the NHL. But I was always very jealous when I was a kid because he's three years younger than me, but always did everything at the same time as I did. So if we, like, my parents would go skiing and they'd say, well, Marty, when you're 12, we're going to take you skiing with us. But then my brother's nine and he's coming along. And I'm like, this is not fair. We'd go golf. My dad would be golfing and he'd say, okay, when you're, you know, 14, I'll take you to a really big 18 holes golf course. But Matthew got to do it when he was 11 because it was the same time. I was always like, this is not fair. Sure enough, in 99, 2000, I finally make it to the NHL full time. My brother's 19 years old. He's playing full time for the New York Islanders. I'm like, come on now. Like, this is like, I'm a little jealous. I'm happy, but I'm a little jealous. Yeah. So he was playing for, for uh, Florida. And, you know, one game early in the year, he hit the post and everybody joked about it. And they said, hey, your brother is trying to score on you. And I said, yeah, if he had scored, I would have retired on the spot. Well, sure enough, the next game that we played against each other, we were in Florida. My parents had just come back from a cruise. We gifted them a cruise, my brother and I. So they were at the game. And it's in, you know, the game. I think it was the third period. It's 1-1. It's four-on-four hockey. There's a two-on-one. My brother, big, tall defenseman, is driving the net, the middle of the ice. He gets a nice pass. He redirects it inside the post, and he scores. At that moment, I didn't realize that was him. I was, you know, focusing on the play. Okay, puck carrier, right-hand shot coming down my left. I, you know, if you're reading the play. The puck goes into the net. I look up and I see big number 34, Biron, celebrating like it's Stanley Cup game seven overtime, right? They're right. jumping up and down. And it ended up being the game-winning goal. And, and it was a Monday night. And this is kind of interesting because on Monday Night Football, the Barber brothers, Tiki and Rodney Barber, I think that was their names, they were playing against one another. And they were talking about, hey, brother rivalry, whatever. I think Al Michaels was calling that game on Monday Night Football. And he said, hey, something happened tonight in the NHL. It hasn't happened in 30 years. Al Michaels, a huge hockey buff, right? Obviously, Miracle on Ice. He said, Matthew Biron scored on his brother Marty in an NHL game. It hasn't happened since Phil scored on Tony Esposito in 1972 or whatever it was. And uh, so it it became the thing, right? It's like, okay, this is pretty cool. Uh, my parents were at the game. My mom celebrated and then quickly sat back down. She goes, yes, oh, no. And uh, yeah, so, and it still hasn't happened since, right? It hasn't happened since there was a... You know, Drew Miller had a breakaway in Ryan Miller one year, and I thought, oh, it's going to happen. There was the P.K. Subban against his brother Malcolm Subban. It didn't happen. This year we saw Ryan Lindgren play against his brother Charlie Lindgren. It hasn't happened, but it's pretty cool that uh, we – I have a plaque at my parents' house. It's the puck, and it says, you know, Matthew scoring on Marty. And you got mentioned on Monday Night Football. What are the chances – that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, Monday Night Football breaks all the big news, right? Uh, I believe that's uh, on Monday Night Football. They broke the the John Lennon um, being assassinated. Uh, you know, news. Yeah, uh, 
want to talk to you about another first, your first NHL fight. Ooh, yeah, that wasn't a successful story. That's more like my my first NHL game. I got lit up and then uh, left the left the ice. But uh, uh, well, the first and my only recorded fight in the NHL. My only time, the only time I got a five minute major. Uh, this was an interesting game. It was in Buffalo against the Ottawa Senators, and uh, we're talking about February of '07. The trade deadline is a week away, so there's a lot of rumors, right? Like. I'm a UFA at the end of the year. Maybe I'll be traded or not. Uh, we had been getting just hurt so bad, the Sabres. We had lost probably a player a game for the last five games. Uh, Paul Gust had cut his own Achilles tendon trying to avoid a check, right? We didn't have the cut-proof things. Um, we had got so many different injuries. And then in the second period of that game against Ottawa, Chris Neal elbows Chris and uh, Drury in the head. And Drury is bleeding and he's obviously not doing well. He's concussed on the ice. And right then, there's already, Ottawa and Buffalo is a huge rivalry. Back in the Pekka, uh, Yashin days, and we had beat them the year before in game five, Jason Pominville overtime, shorthanded goal, right? It was big rivalry. And I always wanted to get in a fight. I wanted to, I knew I wasn't going to win, but I thought maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe I'll be like Felix Podvin against Ron Ekstall, right? The the the, the underdog that gets yeah. the bloody the other guy. And I thought, this is my opportunity. I, I'm definitely not the favorite to win a fight against Ray Emery, but this may be my opportunity. And when I saw that Lindy Roth put Peters, Mayer, and Coletta on the ice, I'm like, this is go time. I already had my glove undone, my blocker undone. You know, I'm ready. Like if 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 it goes down, I'm ready to throw down. So obviously the puck gets dropped and, you know, everybody's fighting. And I meet Ray Emery at center ice. And uh, it didn't go well. It didn't go well. I, I never really practiced fighting. I went in the wrong way. I fought in as a lefty where I'm a righty. I, I went in with my right hand in front of me. So when I went to grab Ray, his right hand was free to just wail on me. And he swung about like 10 or 12 like punches that I ducked out of the way and I fell down. And then we're both down on the ice and uh, I'm like, let's get back up. Let's do it again. Like I'm really tough now, right? And then we get back up to do it again. And out of my the side of my eyes, I see Andrew Peters coming over, almost thinking like, okay, I got this, Marty. Don't worry about it. Because Ray was the toughest player on the ice with Andrew Peters. So um, so we did that. And and really, you know what? The unfortunate thing with, with Ray's passing is that we never got to talk about it. We never got to sit down and, and really revisit it and talk about it because – that would have been cool. One year they did a, a roast of, uh, you know, they roasted me here in Buffalo for charity and they, they called Ray and they said, can you come to Buffalo and, uh, and roast Marty? It'd be great. And yeah. it was kind of interesting because Ray was like, you know what? I'd love to, uh, but I, 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 he, he almost didn't want to be that, that guy that would be the, 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 the villain, right? Like he, he was done with his career. He was onto something else. I don't want to be the villain anymore. I don't want to go in there and rip on Marty and rip on Buffalo. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, and so I'm like, okay, well, I totally appreciate it. I totally see where you're coming from. And, uh, but let's sit down one time and, you know, talk about it or whatnot. And we never got to do it. So that's, that's very, uh, very sad with his passing that, uh, you know, it was a very, very sad loss. Yeah. Um, I want to take you now to, 2008, 
Yeah. You're on the heels of a brutal season previously with the Philadelphia Flyers. Franchise record for the worst. You had been traded to the Philadelphia Flyers. You actually spent three seasons with them. Now you're going to the playoffs and you're facing the Washington Capitals. You're mm-hmm. facing Alexander Ovechkin and the Washington Capitals. It was some of the most entertaining hockey I recall even to this day. From your perspective, walk us through what you remember from from facing Ovi and the Caps in that series. So I remember it, it was my first time in the playoffs. I never played a minute in the playoffs in the NHL. And I always loved the playoffs. I was kind of a playoff goalie myself, like going back to juniors and American League. We got into the Calder Cup finals. But I'm like, okay, this is the first time I'm, I'm doing this. So we go into game one, and I didn't have a good game one. We lost game one. And uh, funny enough, um, you know, my wife was pregnant, expecting our third, and it was about that time, right? So lose game one, and after game one, I got a call, and she goes, hey, uh, by the way, we, uh, my doctor moved my, my appointment. <clears throat> we're we're going to go in between game two and three instead of going between game three and four. And I said, well, I'm not telling anybody that right now. We just lost. So we'll wait and see what happens after game two. We go into game two. I felt so good. I was terrible in game one. Ovi scored a couple, I think. But By the I way, felt... that was the year Ovi had 65. Yeah, no, Ovi, like, you just hope that he hits you with the puck. If he shot the puck, it was either hitting you, missing the net, or going in the net. Like, you didn't make a save on Ovi. You got lucky it hits you. Um, so I, I wasn't good in game one. Game two, we start, and then uh, Mike Knubel scored a goal. Uh, in the first period, I believe. And then we ended up winning that game 2 nothing. So it was my first playoff win, my first playoff shutout, right? I was feeling pretty good. So then I went in and told Paul Holmgren and John Stevens right after the game, oh, by the way, guys, I won't be at practice tomorrow. Uh, wife's having a baby. And there, it was a lot easier after a win than after a loss. Yeah, especially a shutout. Especially a shutout. So, yeah, good timing. I don't know what I would have done if we would have gone down 2 nothing in the playoffs. But... Um, then we go back to Philly, win game three and four. We're up 3-1. This is cruise control. We're going to beat the Washington Capitals. It's cruise control. Go back to Washington, lose game five, come back home to Buffalo uh, to Philly, lose game six. And we were playing game six and game seven on back-to-back nights. And the way we traveled between Philly and Washington was by train. Amazing way to travel. But I remember being on the train after game six, and it felt like a movie, you know, like that sad scene in the movie when the guy's sitting by the bus window or the train window and looking outside and you see the reflection and the sad music comes along. Think of it like two and a half hour bus ride feeling that way. That's what my head was at. I was like, we gave up the opportunity going to Washington for game seven. This is going to be bad. Uh, my first time in the playoffs, I'm going to choke. You know, that's what comes over you. The next day I wake up, I'm like, bring it on. Let's go. So we go into game seven. We end up going to OT. Like this is like huge pressure, right? Tom Pody takes a penalty in overtime and Joffrey Lupul scores. And now it's jubilation. Like it's amazing, right? And I, I, oh man, was I so relieved, especially after the 24 hours before I was thinking, ah, I just choked my career away my first time in the playoffs. And now we win game seven in OT, get to celebrate. And then we get to play the Montreal Canadiens in round two. Are you kidding me? Like, this is a dream come true. 
which was the best because you hated the Habs as a kid. Oh. The chance to face the Habs in the playoffs, you were again a huge underdog against the Habs, and you got to face Carey Price. Carey Price, which I had, you know, obviously the year before, I watched him win the Calder Cup with my brother in Hamilton, and I'm like, and Carey Price is supposed to be this great goaltender, which he ended up being. But so <clears throat> I hated the Canadians. Once again, we uh, we lose game one in in Montreal. I didn't play really well. We win game two, three, and four. So we're back in game five. The same scenario we were in the first round, right? Did you learn something from the first round? And um, Reggie Lemlin was my goalie coach with the Flyers. And he kept telling me about his years with the Boston Bruins, beating the Montreal Canadiens in the playoffs and how exciting that was a Quebec kid, right? So I remember being in the lobby before game five and Reggie Lemlin comes over to me, goes, hey, Marty, somebody on the phone for you. I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, somebody wants to talk to you. Pick up the phone. I'm like, hello. I'm like, hey, Marty, Ray Bork, beat those Canadians bastard. Beat them. And I'm like, oh, Ray Bork, this is so cool, right? Like, I mean, That's did awesome. not expect that. This is awesome. But Reggie and Ray were good buddies from Boston. And he's like, so Reggie goes, you're ready? I'm like, I'm ready. So we go into game five and we beat Montreal in Montreal. And my family and everybody there, oh, what a feeling. That was that was incredible. Your numbers were amazing. Your numbers were amazing during that run, which was great. And then you had to face Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then it goes back to my first NHL game against the, Montreal, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins when I got lit up by Pittsburgh. Never played well in Pittsburgh since that day. And we lost in, in five games. And it was it was unfortunate, but what a run that was. What an incredible run. What an incredible run. And so now you now you get to the point where it's free agency. You get to start writing your own ticket and decide where you want to go. You played in Buffalo. You played in Philly. You've had some great experiences. What made you decide that you thought at this point in your career, I think it was 2009, you wanted to go into the New York market. You end up playing with the wow. Islanders on a one-year deal. Then you end up playing with the New York Rangers on a two-year deal in 2010. Yeah. What made you want to go to those markets? Well, it's a lack of options. <laughs> that way. So my second year in Philly went went well, but not as good as the first year. And we faced the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round again in the 2009 playoffs. We lost to Pittsburgh in six games. And Pittsburgh ends up winning the cup that year. And I remember after the year, now I'm going to be UFA at the end of the summer, but we're talking to Paul Holmgren, the GM of the Flyers, about a new contract. And we're, we're throwing around numbers, and he's very hesitant on, you know, getting the deal done. So about a month or three weeks to a month before free agency, we found out that they were signing Ray Hamry. It goes back full circle to me fighting Ray, but... Basically, Ray was coming back to North America after playing in Russia on a very, very uh, affordable deal. And the Flyers were also in the process of acquiring Chris Pronger. So they didn't have cap space. So I was, me, uh, Mike Knubel. There was a few other players that were basically cap casualty from that team. But now I'm a free agent. I had really two solid years, but there's no markets that need goaltenders. There was the Edmonton Oilers that needed a goalie that summer. They signed Nikolai Habibulin. The Colorado Avalanche needed a goalie. They signed, um, I believe it was, oh, did Craig Anderson go there or? Anderson did over the same window, yeah. Yeah, so it basically was like, 
I, a musical chair and there's no more chairs to sit on. I was a free agent for one month that summer of 2010, 2009. I called my agent every morning, every night. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And they're like, I don't know. We were having conversation. There was no room. There was no, no jobs. And so I signed with the Islanders because Rick DiPietro was injured and he wasn't going to start the year. And they had just signed Dwayne Rose. And so it was like an opportunity for me to go to New York and play maybe in the first half of the year and maybe get traded somewhere. If somebody needed goalie help or whatever, wasn't a good year with the Islanders. I, I did not start the season well. Um, and we, we had a young team, John Tavares' first year. He had just got drafted. So it didn't go well. So then the next summer, I'm a UFA again, and it's, starting to look like, hey, I better just kind of be a backup now. Like that maybe is more what I need to do and get, find a right situation. So I talked to Benoit Allaire, who's the great goalie guru, him and his brother Francois. I used to go to their goalie school. I have, you know, knew him well. And Benny was like, we, we want you here. And we think that he said, I think I can get you back to the level that you need to be at. You've dropped the last year and a half. We need to get you back to that level. But I knew Benny had done that with Sean Burke. He had done that with other goaltenders. He was really good. And I was going to be with, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, and I was going to be his backup, which was fine for me. So I, it was a kind of a change in my career. Can I be the best backup possible? Can I be that guy in the NHL, right? I can't be the number one goaltender anymore, but maybe I can be the best backup. And, and I really enjoyed my time in New York. The second year in New York, Gino, we played 82 games. Henrik Lundqvist played 62 and I played 21. So it adds to 83. But really, the one game that I came in to relief from Lundqvist, it was in Edmonton earlier in the season and he had skates issue, skate problems, and he had to leave with about 10 minutes left in the game. So 82 games with John Tortorella as our head coach and not one time did anybody get pulled in a game because of performances. Like Torts had a quick, you know, hook. But not one time did we get pulled because we had that, you know, it was basically 62-20 type of game split and we really work well together. What a great experience. Man, Marty, I, this has been so much fun. You and I have worked, I covered your career. You and I have worked together now for, oh man, probably close to a decade and it's been yep. so much fun. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you doing this. This has been so much fun. Before you leave, can we play five fast facts? Oh, Absolutely. I'll ask you five quick questions. You give me the quick answer right off the top of your head. All right? Yes. Here we go. Time now for five fast facts with Marty Biron. The best teammate that you ever played with. Who was that? Why? Uh, Danny Breer. Um, and look, from the time we were young, juniors, he used to always score on me. So when he came to my team, I was like, thank goodness he won't score on me anymore. And then he just lit me up in practice, compete. He wanted to be the best in practice and games. So I would say he was probably, yeah, the best. Who was the best coach you ever played for? Lindy Ruff. And uh, um, I didn't appreciate it back then, but man, did he want to push us and wanted the best for us. And his systems were so elaborate. He could change in games. He was the best coach I played for. Who did you hate playing against the most and why? Matt Cook. And that started from <laughs> our days in, in the American League, Rochester, Syracuse. Um, he was in Syracuse. We played him 10, 12 times a year. And he was always in my face. I tried to fight him a bunch of times. Uh, Matt Cook was definitely the one I hated to play against the most. What was your favorite NHL city to play in? 
Oh, there's a few of them. Um, MSG in New York was always fun. Coming back to Montreal or Ottawa was fun. But, I, you know, city itself, Raleigh, North Carolina. The hotel was awesome. The restaurants we used to go to was awesome. The rink was five minutes from the, the hotel, so we didn't have to be in traffic for 45 minutes to get there. Like, Raleigh, North Carolina was so undercover. I loved every single time I was there. If you hadn't become an NHL player, what career do you think you would have been in instead? I think I would have been either two things. Like I love math and science in school and I was really good at it. So I would have done, I, and maybe a teacher. I think I would have been a teacher uh, and I love the high school kind of age group. And so I think that's probably what I've done. A math or science teacher in high school. I think that's what I would have done. Well, you've become an amazing teacher in terms of an NHL analyst, buddy. Thank you, Marty, so much for this conversation. Thank you for your great stories. I've had a lot of fun. I feel like uh, I didn't have to work in this podcast today at all. <laughs> all I had to do was put the ball on the tee for you and let it go. Thanks a lot, buddy. I really appreciate it. I'm always happy to come on to the show, Gino, and I'm sure I'll see you in the office pretty soon. Our guest has been my buddy, Martin Biron. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite Slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, local bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and the general population will require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcasts, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot-from-the-oven-in-minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey, dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.